We are, are on a journey to change together, and, and part of how we are going to change is to understand how God has wired us. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about the spiritual gifts inventory that we're going to be doing. So um, there's going to be people at the back to hand those out to you as you leave. I, w- I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to understand how we think about ministry and, and, and how we think about our faith. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be a big part of how God changes us. So um, take it seriously. Now, uh, a lot of you probably know that today is Super Bowl Sunday. And so here's what I want you to know. Uh, There are several people in here who have New England Patriots uh, apparel on. And uh, here's here's what this part of the service is. This is a time in the service that is specifically for you to exercise the words of our Lord. Uh, Pray for your enemies. Right? Love your enemies and pray for those who have persecuted us for so long. And go Rams. But um, there's no sacrificial ram today. That's all I'm saying, okay? Um, no more football. This, this is preaching time, okay? So wipe that smile off your face. It's time to, it's time to get serious. Have you ever noticed that sometimes people can see the same event or hear the same thing and they react very differently? You ever noticed that? This is not a football comment, by the way. Um, Shout out to the refs from the Saints game last week, but that's not what I'm talking about. This isn't even a political comment, so if, you, if that's where your brain went, then you can put that away. Uh, let me kind of give you a frame of reference for where I'm going, where people see the same thing and react differently. I think about a middle school boy named Tony, and uh, Tony in middle school was, uh, well, he hadn't quite grown into his weight yet, if you know what I mean. Uh, he's a little pudgy. And um, so middle school Tony was, he was a little bit more interested in things like books than he was things like athletics. He's a little more interested in imagination than he was adrenaline. And that's fine, that's good, until you get into middle school, and your middle school is Willow Creek Middle School in Portage, Indiana, and it is the adrenaline capital of the middle school world. Our middle school had rock climbing walls, four of them, and uh, so there was beginner, intermediate, advanced, and cliffhanger, right? And so we'd all kind of heard about the rock climbing walls in the middle school, but it was kind of just one of those things like you, you thought it was urban legend that the older kids told you just to kind of scare you, uh, make you a little bit nervous, right? We just kind of thought it was middle school urban legend, and I will never forget the day when gym class started and they took us up to the rock climbing wall room. And I look up and it seems like these walls just go up forever. No human should ever be that high off the ground. And yet there they are telling me that very soon I'm going to be up there. I understand how gravity works, folks. That's not how that's going to work. And, and I just remember walking into this room, and I'm starting to sweat with dread, and my stomach is turning into a tight knot, and it's just awful. And I'm wondering, I wonder how long I can be sick. 
I wonder, like, if I break my leg, will that, like, will that exclude me from this? How bad does it hurt when you break your leg? And all of these things are running through my mind. And to my left and to my right, my classmates are going, oh, this is awesome. This is the best day of my life. I can't wait to climb the cliffhanger. I'm going to climb one-handed. This is going to be the greatest day of my life. It's interesting how different people can see the same thing and have very, very different reactions. My classmates thought it was the best day of their life. I thought, I need to get as far away from this as possible, as quickly as possible. Let me tell you why two people can see the same thing and react very differently. It's because our priorities determine our reactions. Our priorities determine our reactions. My priority as a sixth grade boy was self-preservation. I wanted to live to see seventh grade. Okay? My classmates wanted adventure. We each reacted accordingly. Today I want to look at several stories from the ministry of Jesus where people had the opportunity to see Jesus' incredible power and decide whether it was a threat to them or whether it was a comfort to them. And I'll just tell you, each of them fall into this same concept Your priorities determine your reactions. So we'll start in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up there now. If you don't, I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you in the New Living Translation. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Here's what we read. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowd behind, although other boats followed. But soon... A fierce storm came up, and high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And they asked him, Then he asked him, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, that even the wind and the waves obey him? So Jesus and his disciples are on a boat. And I want to talk boats for just a second because it's easy to misunderstand this story in our minds. It's easy for us to to think about Jesus being on a boat, and this is a fishing community, right? And it's easy for us to think about a boat like this, right? We think Jesus is on a boat like that, and that's, that's not the case. Can I just tell you, Jesus wasn't on a boat like that. He was on a boat like this makes a little bit of a difference in how we think about the story, doesn't it? It's easy to think of Jesus asleep on a cot in the back of the boat on the lower deck in the captain's sleeping compartment. But he's not. He's at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples aren't running to get Jesus. They're not even walking to get Jesus. They are crawling on their hands and knees because to stand up in a storm like this would certainly mean falling overboard. And they get to Jesus and they say, Teacher, don't you care? We are drowning. It's a very immediate threat. This little boat is filling up with water. We are drowning. Not something that's going to happen in an hour or two hours or five hours if the Coast Guard doesn't come. We are, present tense, active, drowning right now. Don't you care about that? 
And I appreciate this reaction, I really do, uh, because I can picture myself reacting the same way. The disciples, they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. They don't know what's going to happen. They just know that things are really bad right now, and if we can take that to Jesus, that'll be better. If we can just get to Jesus, things will be better. There's a Bible word for this. It's called faith. It's called faith. And look, I don't know what you're struggling with right now, but I know that at some point in your life you've thought, I am drowning here. I don't know how long I can keep up with this. How long is this going to keep crashing into me? And what I want to encourage you to do is just give that to Jesus. You don't need to have a plan. You just need to know that somehow, if I take this to Jesus, it'll be better. You don't even have to have an elegant prayer. What did the disciples say? Teacher, don't you care that we're drowning? Well, that's not very diplomatic. In fact, it might even be a little bit accusatory. But it had one thing going for it. And this is the most important thing when it comes to prayer. It was honest. It was honest. Here's here's the only thing we, we need to know about prayer and taking our situations to God. The only plan we need is honesty. The only plan we need is honesty. See, a lot of times we think that when we come to Jesus, we need to have a plan for how he's going to help us. We go, okay, Jesus, I'm really struggling with this thing, and I need your help. So here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to make a Facebook post about how I'm struggling with this thing. I'm going to get on Amazon. I'm going to buy a book. Then I'm going to read the first chapter and a half of that book, and then we're going to declare victory over my problem. So can you go ahead and bless that now, Jesus? Amen. Right? And this is how we approach bringing our problems to the throne of God. The disciples don't have a plan here. They have a small understanding that if they can just get to Jesus, he can help. And they're right. They're right. Jesus says to the waves, silence, be still. I've always wondered how Jesus said that. Did he yell it? Did he go, you know, like Charlton Heston, put both hands up in the air and yell it like very dramatically? I don't think so. I don't even think he got all the way up. I think he just kind of stretched, reoriented himself from being asleep and said, silence, be still. And suddenly there's peace all around. And the disciples react by saying, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You know what that verse is full of? It's full of fear. In fact, Mark, right before that, he says the disciples were terrified. They were terrified. They've seen the power of God. And I'm going to tell you, the power of God is frightening. It is frightening. But at the same time, they realize that it's a comfort. They realize that it's a comfort because they are underneath the authority of this one who commands even the wind and the waves. And because they are under his authority, they are also under his protection. They saw the power of God and they realized that it was a comforting thing. Now I want to take a moment and show you an opposite reaction. We'll pick it back up in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. This is the very next thing that Mark writes. So they arrived to the other side of the lake. It's kind of an anticlimactic conclusion to this story, right? Hush, be still. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I'd want a little bit more discussion on what Jesus said to them afterwards. Yeah, I command the wind and the waves. You can trust in me and everything's going to be good. 
Right? There's no more discussion. We just go from terrible storm, Jesus stills it, now they're on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackled, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And the spirit replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them instead. So Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged deep down the hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. So Jesus arrives on the other side of the lake and is immediately confronted by a demon-possessed man, and the man with the spirits comes up and he starts begging Jesus to just leave him alone. And I know this is, this is Youth Sunday, so let's, let's talk here just briefly uh, about the spirit world. I don't know if any of you, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, uh, but any of our, our youth in here, I don't know if you were like me, uh, but when I was younger, I, I was really afraid uh, of things like that, of, of demonic things in the devil. And uh, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know from this story. If you ask God to protect you, if you ask God to protect you, you don't have to be afraid of things like that. They will be afraid of you. They will be afraid of the God who is protecting you. If you don't believe me, look at this story. Right? And this, this is a scary story. This is a scary story, right? It's a scary story until Jesus shows up. And then the evil spirits bow low before him and start pleading with Jesus, please, please, have mercy on us. They don't say have mercy on us. They, please don't send us out into some distant region. Please just let us go into these pigs over here, please. This is a scary story until Jesus shows up. And then this demonic presence bows low before him. I want you to know, Here's what I want you to know. 
If you ask for God's protection, you have nothing to fear from the spirit world. But here's what I really want to do with this. I just wanted to mention that because I know this is Youth Sunday. Here's where I really want to go. Jesus sends the demons into the herd of pigs, and the pigs rush straight into the water, and then the people see this. Let me ask you a question. You are absolved of your responsibility to stay quiet during church, so respond here, okay? Uh, How do the people react when Jesus sends the demons into the pigs? How do they react? They're afraid. Um, Are they, well, I'm going to give you um, two options here. Do they say, oh, Jesus, that was really, really great. Thank you. Why don't you come over to our house? We're going to have some dinner, and, uh, you know, we'll make sure you guys are taken care of for the night. Or do they say, we'd like for you to leave? They want Jesus to leave. Does that seem weird to anybody else? I've always struggled with this passage. Jesus solves a major problem for these people. This garrison demoniac seems like he was problematic. Could you imagine going to a funeral? Having to, I wonder where the guy's at. Hope he doesn't disrupt our funeral today. This seems like a major problem. And Jesus just very quickly solves it. Doesn't it feel like they should be thankful, but instead they say, please just get out of our town. Why do they do that? I'll tell you, it's because they found Jesus to be a threat. They were threatened by Jesus. They were threatened by Jesus. These people have seen Jesus' power, and deep down inside them, they know, they know that it's greater than their own power. Look at verse 4. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one... No one was strong enough to subdue him. These people have tried and tried and tried to handle it on their own, and they can't do it. They're not strong enough. Their chains aren't strong enough. They have no ability to control him. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up and very quickly and very easily handles the situation. And you remember how the disciples responded to the storm? These people have a similar reaction. They say, who then is this that even the evil spirits obey him? But instead of finding Jesus' power to be comforting, they find it a threat. And they start to think, and if somebody has that much power and they're around, they need to have authority in my life. And they didn't want Jesus to have authority in their lives, so they ask him to leave. They didn't want to be under Jesus' authority. They were comfortable with their lives just the way they were. So i got to ask you, do you want Jesus to have authority in your life? Because we looked at two stories so far where his power is on display. His authority over nature and his authority over the supernatural. And if we believe what we've read and we want Jesus in our lives, we have to believe that his authority extends not just to the natural world, not just to the supernatural world, but to our lives as well. We have to believe that Jesus has authority over us as well. So when Jesus says things like, love your neighbor as yourself, we've got to believe that he's not offering a suggestion. He is issuing a command that is to be obeyed. And our response should be the same as the wind and the waves. And when Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be a servant. That's not a suggestion 
And our response should be the same as the wind and the waves. When Jesus says forgive seven times, 77 times, that's not a suggestion. It is a command and our response should be the same as the wind and the waves. We're on a journey to change together. And one of the biggest changes that needs to happen in our lives is the authority we give Jesus. See, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then he gets all of the authority. So what do you want? Do you want that? Or do you want things to be business as usual? We want a little bit of Jesus, but still having us in control. It's kind of a tough sell. We are used to being our own bosses, right? We live in a culture where it says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't rely on anybody but yourself. But what happens? What happens when Jesus has authority in our lives? What happens when Jesus has authority in our lives? Verse 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. He said, my, my little daughter, she's dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and, on, and all the people followed, crowding around him. And a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. She'd not gotten any better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately... Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. And Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd. What do you mean who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. And told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Just like the disciples in the boat, this woman comes to Jesus. She didn't have a plan. She She doesn't have a plan. She just has an idea that coming to Jesus will help. She can't tell you how Jesus will help. She just knows that coming to Jesus is going to make a difference, so she goes. And she can't get close enough to actually touch Jesus, but that doesn't stop her. She doesn't let any excuse get in her way. She just wants to get as close to Jesus as she can. She touches his robe, and that's an example worth following. Just get as close to Jesus as you can. How do you do that? i got, I got two suggestions that I want to offer to you briefly. Pray honestly. We already talked about that. Pray honestly and pray out loud. Pray honestly and pray out loud. If what's on your mind is, don't you care that we're drowning? Then I think you should pray that. If, if what's on your mind is, I am sick and tired of struggling with this, then I think you should pray that. But I also think you should pray it out loud. And let me just briefly explain why. Have you ever thought something bad about somebody else? 
Have you ever have you ever been in a room and and you thought, man, just take a look at that guy's haircut? Anybody ever thought anything? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. But it's easy to say something in your head. It's easy to, to think something in your head. It's a, it's a different story entirely to say something out loud. It's the same thing here. It's one thing to admit you have a problem you can't handle on your own in the safety and the confines of your own mind. It is a different thing entirely to say it out loud. You don't even have to be around anybody else. Just you and God, just saying that out loud. There's something different about that. God, I have no control over things. Please help me. <clears throat> I don't know exactly how to explain the difference, but I know there's a different gravity to saying something out loud. Now, I, I want to talk about healing just a little bit here. In this story, Jesus heals the woman. She has suffered for 12 years. Um, praise God, right? Some of you have been struggling with an illness for a long time, and it's hard. And it'd be easy to wonder, why, why doesn't Jesus just do that for me? Why didn't he just do that for me? He did it for the woman in that story. Why doesn't he just do that for me? I've prayed a lot on this subject, and I know that would be wonderful. I know that would be wonderful, but what we, what we talked about a couple weeks ago is that Jesus came to bring us a peace that not even health can offer. He came to offer us eternal life. And while some of us are sick physically, Jesus knew that all of us, all of us are sick spiritually. And that's what he came to heal. That's what he came to heal. That was his first priority. Instead of helping with our medical condition, Jesus came to help with our spiritual condition. And instead of saying this illness is gone, Jesus now says, let me cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus came to do. Does he have the power to heal? Do uh, miracles happen in medicine? Absolutely, I believe that those things happen, but I know that Jesus' first priority is to heal us spiritually. And that's what happens when we give God the authority in our lives. He heals us spiritually. All right, let's keep going. While he was still speaking to her, to the woman with the, the bleeding problem. Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to them, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anybody go with him except Peter, James, and John, brother James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed. And they were totally amazed. Everybody in the house understood that the little girl was dead. And they were right. What they didn't understand was the power of God. I don't know how many people you've looked at and said they're gone. 
They're too deep into their sin. They are wretched. They are sinful. They're a lost cause. They're gone. They'll never get out of it. And I don't know how many people have looked at you and said the same thing. But here's what I need you to know today. As long as you're alive, Jesus will never look at you that way. He will never look at you that way. As long as you're alive, here's what he wants to say to you. My child, rise from the dead. I can tell you with absolute confidence that that's what he wants to say to you. But if that's going to happen, we've got a decision to make. We have to decide if Jesus' power and authority is a threat or a comfort. So do you see Jesus and say his power is a threat to the way I'm living my life? He'd call me to a higher standard and I'm just comfortable with how things are going. I don't really want to change anything. If that's you, he's a threat. And you may not realize it. You may not realize it, but you'll keep him at arm's length because letting him closer would call for life change. Or do you see Jesus and you say, I don't have a plan I don't know how this is going to work, but I've got this thing and I know that Jesus can help. I don't know how, I don't even know what coming to church means or what it looks like, but I believe that Jesus can help me. If that's you, his power is a comfort. And if that's you, then I think you need to react today. Because you see, everybody who sees Jesus' power has a reaction. The disciples were terrified. The disciples were terrified, okay? The, the people who saw the demons go into the herd of pigs, they were very afraid. And then they went and told everybody, and everybody became afraid. The woman who had the bleeding problem, she was overwhelmed and fell on her knees. And then the people in Jairus' house were overwhelmed. The question is, when you see the power of God and you react Are you going to be comforted? Are you going to be afraid? I think that today you should experience the power of God in your life. The power of God for forgiveness. The power of God for cleansing of all unrighteousness. I think you should be baptized today. And here's what happens. You go under the water, and in that moment the old sinner dies, and you rise to live a new life completely forgiven of sins, cleansed of all unrighteousness and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And I get it, you may not know all the theology, you may not have a plan for how God will begin to work in your life, you just know that somehow coming to Jesus will help. If that's you, I think you should come and be baptized, and today you will hear Jesus say to you, My child, rise from the dead.